0: Chapter seven of Nobody's Man by E. Phillips Oppenheim This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Ferrard. Chapter seven Luncheon was served in a small room at the back of the house. Through the wide flung French windows was a vista of terraced walks, the two sunken tennis lawns, a walled garden leading into an orchard, and beyond the great wood-hung cleft in the hills on either side of which the pastoral fields like little squares stretched away upwards from here there was no trace of the more barren unkinder side of the moorland the succession of rich colours merged at last into the dim pearly hue where sky and cloud met in the golden haze of the august heat a haze more like a sort of transparent filminess than anything which really obscured lady jane whose gift of femininity had triumphed even over her farm clothes seemed to talent to convey a curiously mingled impression of restfulness and delicate charm in her cool white muslin dress low at the neck the paquin-made garment of an aphrodite she talked to him with all the charm of an accomplished hostess and yet with the occasional fascinating reserve of the woman who finds her companion something more than ordinarily sympathetic the butler served them unattended from the sideboard but before luncheon was halfway through they dispensed with his services i suppose it has occurred to you by this time mr tallente she said as she watched the coffee in a glass machine by her side that i am a very unconventional person whatever you are he replied i am grateful for cryptic but with quite a nice sort of sound about it she observed smiling tell me honestly though aren't you surprised to find me living here quite alone it seems to me perfectly natural i live without a chaperon she went on because a chaperone called by that name would bore me terribly as a matter of fact though there is generally some one staying here i find it easy enough to persuade my friends and some of my relatives that a corner of exmoor is not half a bad place in the spring and summer it is through the winter that i am generally avoided i have always had a fancy to spend a winter on exmoor he confided it has its compensations she agreed apart of course from the hunting he felt the desire to speak of more vital things what did hunting or chaperons more or less matter to the lady janes of the world already he knew enough of her to be sure that she would have her way in any crisis that might arise how much of the year he asked do you actually spend here as much as i can you're content to be here alone even in the winter more contented than i should be anywhere else she assured him there is always plenty to do useful work too things that count london bores me terribly she confessed foreign travel she nodded more tolerantly. i have done a little of it she said i should love to do more but travel as travel is such an unsatisfying thing if a place attracts you you want to imbibe it travel leaves you no time to do anything but sniff life is so short one must concentrate or one achieves nothing i know what the general idea of a stay-at-home is she went on many of my friends consider me narrow perhaps i am anyhow i prefer to lead a complete and i believe useful life here to looking back in later years upon that hotch-potch of lurid sensations tangled impressions and restless moments that most of them call life you display an amazing amount of philosophy for your years he ventured after a little hesitation there is one instinct, however which you seem to ignore what is it please shall i call it the gregarious one the desire for companionship of young people of your own age she shrugged her shoulders she had the air of one faintly amused by his diffidence you mean that i ought to be husband hunting she said i quite admit that a husband would be a very wonderful addition to life i have none of the sentiments of the old maid on the other hand i am rather a fatalist if any man is likely to come my way whom i should care to marry he is just as likely to find me here as though i tramped the thoroughfares of the world searching for him at last she went on in a changed tone as she poured out his coffee i do hope you will find it good the cigarettes are at your elbow this is quite one of the moments of life isn't it he agreed with her emphatically counsel of perfection he murmured as he sniffed the delicate turkish tobacco tell me some more about yourself she shook her head i am much too selfish a person she declared and nothing that i do or say or am amounts to very much i want you to let me a little way into your life talk either about your soldiering or your politics you have been a cabinet minister and you will be again tell me what it feels like to be one of the world's governors let us finish talking about you first he begged you spoke quite frankly of a husband tell me "'Have you made up your mind what manner of man he must be?' "'Not in the least. "'I am content to leave that entirely to fate. "'Bucolic? "'Intellectual? "'An artist? "'A man of affairs?' "'She made a little grimace. "'How can I tell? "'I cannot conceive caring for an ordinary person, "'but then every woman feels like that. "'And you see, if I did care, he wouldn't be ordinary. "'To me.' and so far as i am concerned she insisted with a shade of restlessness in her manner that finishes the subject you must please devote yourself to telling me at least some of the things i want to know what is the use of having one of the world's successful men tete-tete a prisoner to my hospitality unless i can make him gratify my curiosity the thought created by her words burned through his mind like a flash of destroyed lightning one of the world's successful men he repeated is that how i seem to you and to the world she asserted he shook his head sadly i have worked very hard he said i have been very ambitious a few of my ambitions have been gratified but the glory of them has passed with attainment now i enter upon the last lap and i possess none of the things i started out in life to achieve but how absurd she exclaimed you are one of our great politicians you would have to be reckoned with in any regrouping of parties without even a seat in the house of commons he reminded her bitterly and again how can a man be a great politician when there are no politics? the confusion amongst the parties has become chaos and i for one have not been clear-sighted enough to see my way through of course i know vaguely what you mean she said but remember that i am only a newspaper educated politician can't you be a little more explicit he lit another cigarette and smoked restlessly for a moment i'll try and explain if i can he went on to be a successful politician from the standard which you or i would aim at a man needs not only political insight but he needs to be able to adopt his views to the practical programme of one of the existing parties or else to be strong enough to form a party of his own that is where i have come to the cold sack in my career it was my ambition to guide the working classes of the country into their rightful place in our social scheme but i have also always been an intensely keen imperialist and therefore at daggers drawn with many of the so-called labour leaders the consequence has been that for ten years i have been hanging on to the thin edge of nothing a member of the coalition government a member by sufferance of a hotch party which was created by the combination of the radicals and the unionists with the sole idea of seeing the country through its great crisis all legislation in the wider sense of the term had to be shelved while the country was in danger and while it was recovering itself that time i spent striving to educate the people i wanted to represent striving to make them see reason to combat the two elements in their outlook which have been their eternal drawback the elements of blatant selfishness and greedy ignorance well i fail. that is all there is about it i fail. no party claims me i haven't even a seat in the house of commons i am nearly fifty years old and i am tired nearly fifty years old she repeated but what is that you have health you are strong and well there is nothing a younger man can do that you cannot why do you worry about your age perhaps he admitted with a faint smile and an innate compulsion to tell her of a thought which had lurked behind because you are so marvellously young absurd she scoffed i am twenty-nine years old practically thirty practically thirty that is to say with the usual twenty years allowance you and i are of the same age he looked across at her across the lace draped table with the bowls of fruit its richly cut decanter of wine its low full of roses its haze of cigarette smoke she was leaning back in her chair her head resting upon the fingers of one hand her face seemed alive with so many emotions she was so anxious to console so interested in her companion herself and the moment he felt something unexpected and irresistible i would to god i could look at it like that he exclaimed suddenly. the words had left his lips before he was conscious that the thought which had lain at the back of them had found expression in his tone and glance just at first they produced no other effect in her save that evidenced by the gently upraised eyebrows the sweetly tolerant smile and then a sudden cloud scarcely of discomfiture certainly not of displeasure more of unrest swept across her face her eyes no longer met his so clearly and frankly there was a little mist there and a silence she was looking away through the windows to the dim pearly line of blue the actual horizon of things present her pulses were scarcely steady she was possessed to a full extent of the qualities of courage physical and spiritual yet at that moment she felt a wave of curious fear the fear of the idealist that she may not be true to herself the moment passed and she looked at him with a smile an innate gift of concealment the heritage of her sex came to her rescue but she felt somehow or other as though she had passed through one of the crises of her life that she could never be quite the same again she had ceased for those few seconds to be natural what does that wish mean she asked do you mean that you would like to agree with me or would you like to be twenty-nine he too turned his back upon that little pool of emotion did his best to be natural and easy to shut out the memory of that flaming moment at twenty-nine he told her i was first secretary at st petersburg i am afraid that i was rather a dull dog too all russia even then was seething and i was trying to understand i never did no one ever understood russia the explanation of all that has happened there is simply the eternal duplication of history a huge class of people physically omnipotent conscious of wrongs unintelligent and led by false prophets all revolutions are the same the purging is too severe so the good remains undone there followed a silence purposeful on her part scarcely realized by him she sought for a means of escape to bring their conversation down to the level where alone safety lay she moved her chair a little farther back into the scented chamber as though she found the sunlight too dazzling you are like so many of the men who work for us she said you are just a little tired aren't you you come down here to rest and i dig up all the old problems and ask you to vex yourself with them we must talk about slighter things you are going to shoot here this season perhaps hunt later on i do not think so he answered i have forgotten what sports mean i may take a gun out sometimes there is a little shooting that goes with the manner but very few birds i believe the last ten years seem to have driven all those things out of one's mind don't you think that you are inclined to take life a little too earnestly she asked one should have amusements i may feel the necessity he replied but it is not easy to take up one's earlier pleasures at my time of life don't think me inquisitive she went on but as i told you i have looked you up in one of those wonderful books which tell us everything about everybody you were a double blue at oxford Rackets and cricket he assented neither of them much used to me now Rackets would help you with long tennis she said but beyond that i find that not a dozen years ago you were a scratch golfer, and you certainly won the amateur championship of italy it is eleven years since i touched a club he told her then you ought to be ashamed of yourself she declared games are part of an englishman's life and when he neglects them altogether, there is something wrong. I shall insist upon your taking up lawn tennis again. I have two beautiful courts there, and very seldom anyone to play with who has the least idea of the game. His eyes rested for a moment upon the smoothly shaven lawns. So you think that regeneration may come to me through lawn tennis? he murmured. And why not? You are taking yourself far too seriously, you know how do you expect regeneration to come shall i tell you what it is i lack he answered suddenly incentive i think my will has suddenly grown flabby the ego in me unresponsive you know the moods in which one asks oneself whether it is worth while whether anything is worth while well i am there at the crossroads i think i feel more inclined to look for a seat than to go on the strongest of us need to rest sometimes she agreed quietly he relapsed into a silence so apparently deliberate that she accepted it as a respite for herself also from the greater seclusion of her shadowy seat she found herself presently able to watch him unnoticed the brooding melancholy of his face the nervous unsatisfied mouth the discontent of his somber brows then even as she watched the change in his expression startled her his eyes were fixed upon the narrow ribbon of road which twisted around the other side of the house and led over the bleaker moors seawards the look puzzled her gave her an uncomfortable feeling its note of appreciation seemed to her inexplicable with a quaint electrical sympathy he caught the unspoken question in her eyes and translated it you are beginning to doubt me he said you are wondering if the shadow i carry with me is not something more than the mere depression of a man who has failed you have not failed she declared and i never doubt you but there was something in your face just then which was strange something alien to our talk it was as though you saw something ominous in the distance it is true he admitted in the distance i can see the car i ordered to come and fetch me there is a passenger a man in the tonneau i am wondering who he is someone to whom your man has given a lift, perhaps she suggested he shook his head i have another feeling perhaps i should say an apprehension it is someone who brings news political or domestic neither he answered i thought that fate had dealt me out most of her evil tricks when i came down here a political outcast she had another one up her sleeve however do you read your morning papers every day she confessed is it a weakness not at all you read of the disappearance of the honourable anthony Palliser? of course she answered besides you told me about it did you not yesterday afternoon i know one of his sisters quite well and i was looking forward to seeing something of him down here i was obliged to dismiss him at a moment's notice tallente went on he betrayed his trust and he has disappeared that very imposing police inspector who broke up our tete yesterday afternoon and i fear shortened your visit came on his account he was the spokesman for a superior authority in london they have come to the conclusion that i could if i chose throw some light upon his disappearance and could you he rose to his feet you are the one person in the world he said to whom i could tell nothing but the truth i could they both heard the sound of footsteps in the hall lady jane disturbed by the ominous note in tallente's voice rose also to her feet glancing from him towards the door filled with some vague inexplicable apprehension tallente showed no fear but it was plain that he had nerved himself to face evil things there was something almost ludicrous in this denouement to a situation which to both had seemed filled with almost dramatic possibilities the door was opened by Parkins the stout discreet manservant ushering in the unkempt ill-tailored ungainly figure of james miller this gentleman parkins announced wishes to see mr tallente on urgent business End of chapter seven